You're listening to the 10th episode of Shawzi 24-7. Today's episode is with special agent Mr. Ben Stone, who heads up the Cyber Criminal Squad for the Federal Bureau of Investigation out of Philadelphia. Welcome to the Shawzi 24-7 podcast. Talking real estate, title insurance, development, technology, and all things business. Now let's welcome in your host, he's back, Mark Shaw. Mark Shaw. Welcome to Shawzi 24-7, special agent Ben Stone. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? Not bad, not bad. So, so Ben and I have been going back and forth over email for the last uh, several months, uh, just trying to make this happen. There's obviously some red tape that, that goes on within the bureaucratic system. And you know, with Ben being uh, at the FBI, uh, it was difficult to get the approvals, but we've got the approval. And the idea is, is that uh, with our audience, a lot of uh, those in the real estate community, agents, lenders, title companies, potential um, home buyers, it, it, this is a high priority for the FBI right now. Yeah, I mean, any we we see folks with money, which is essentially what real estate transactions are, being targeted um, and successfully targeted for sometimes substantial amounts of money being lost through wire fraud, which is essentially what this is. Um, but the way in which they do it um, is pretty standard and routine. But you know, I want to try and uh, give folks some tools to defend themselves. Absolutely, and uh, t- that's what we're going to talk about today: wire fraud and ways to protect your proceeds and your funds from getting into the wrong hands. And um, you know, in, in the real estate community, there's there's no shortage of attempts uh, within the cyber community trying to rip a potential buyer off or, or redirect funds that are supposed to be hitting a title company or a seller after the fact uh, with their seller proceeds or possibly even a borrower in, in the case of a refinance. Um, let's first talk about how did you get into the fight against cyber crimes? Talk about how, how did you get appointed to the, the, when you came back to Philadelphia and you were chosen to lead the new squad um, to fight crim, uh, you know, criminal cyber crimes for the FBI office. How did that happen? Um, well, I was I was at our um, headquarters division for uh, an inspection uh, for a year or so. And um, when I came back, the, the timing happened to be that um, the, the, the priorities regarding to cyber were, were shifting. And we used to have one, one team that focused on all cyber threats, both criminal and national security. And we created a second team that was going to be focused on uh, criminal matters to kind of bring some more um, focus to it. And uh, I happened to be in the right place at the right time when when they created the second team and I was asked to uh, kind of lead it from from the start and build it from, you know, just uh, one or two people into, you know, uh, a much larger team where we are today, three or four years later. And that was in 2014. So there's obviously been a a huge increase in, in these attempts. Can you talk about the uh, the amounts of wire fraud cases that you receive on a daily, weekly, or even monthly basis? Um, yeah, so the numbers tend to be a little um, a little bit all over the place. Um, it, it's hard to nail down, you know, exactly how many 
come in at any one particular time. Um, we do have a central uh, reporting repository, which I would certainly encourage people to take a look at, and if they're the victim of a crime, to go to um, to report these. And that's uh, a website we have called uh, IC3. That's literally the, the, num the letter I, the letter C, number 3.gov. And uh, they put out a report every year on the reports that they've had. And so last year, the... There are a number of reported incidents involving real estate transactions was about 9,600. And then the number of instances involving what we call a business email compromise uh, was uh, about 15,700. Um, and, and those two kind of go on, uh, go together and the, the trend, the mechanisms tend to be similar. And we'll, we'll talk more about how this happens. Um, that's probably just a fraction of what's really going on um, because oftentimes people don't know to report it or how to report it uh, or sometimes they don't want to report it for whatever reason. So um, while that's a, a number, I don't know that it's representative of the actual threat and instances going on. But even if it's a fraction, it's still a substantial amount. Yes, of course. Um, at, at what point does the FBI really go after some of the culprits of, of these wire fraud schemes because from what I've learned it appears that there's there's so much of it that you can only uh, go after I guess perhaps some of the larger losses I mean how does that work yeah I mean you, you're right in the sense that we have to prioritize you know what limited resources we do have um, my priority uh, number one uh, is to try and recover the funds. Um, now, we have certain mechanisms in place and relationships between us uh, and the banking system in the U.S. Um, in which we can um, contact the banks um, and uh, try and initiate a recall of, of wire trans of any wires, fraudulently conducted wires. A lot of these wires will go both domestically uh, and internationally, um, and in the international arena, we have this similar relationships um, with the correspondent banks, um, and then the banks where money may have been wired to. Uh, common places that money gets wired to overseas include Hong Kong. Um, we started to see a few to Japan, um, the European Union, the UK, um, and. Um, we work with our foreign law enforcement partners because we have no authority overseas. Um, we work with our partners overseas to initiate the recall of those funds. It gets more complicated when money goes overseas um, because um, of different rules in different countries as to how the money uh, can be frozen and recovered. Um, and, and that's where we rely on the relationships that we have with our, with our partners. Um, you know, larger amounts, I, I think our threshold is, I think, $75,000. Um, but we also have a limited time threshold. So um, we know that wire transactions in, tend to go at the speed of business. And so uh, when you send money, uh, typically, you know, if it's over 72 hours, um, we were not really in a position at that point to uh, recover the funds. Um, so that's kind of the rules that we have in play and the mechanisms we have in play to recover the funds. But our number one priority is recovering the funds. Our second priority is um, trying to piece together the information behind the actual fraud 
to focus on the groups um, that are responsible for this. Um, and again, most of these folks are the actual people behind the people behind the keyboard, if that makes sense, yeah. um, tend to be overseas, which adds another layer of complexity, if not several layers of complexity. But we work with our overseas partners to, um, to try and identify those folks and uh, ultimately bring them to justice, either here or overseas. The biggest thing is it seems to be reporting this early. You know, you have a case, you've got to get it to the FBI right away. You you have to report it early. Now, the the website that I that I just alluded to earlier and gave that URL for, they they have folks that look at these reports as they come in and they will triage them centrally and they will initiate the recall or the attempted recall of those funds um, rather than trying to filter it down to the field office where um, you know, this may well have happened. Um, and so we have those mechanisms in place to do that. But you are right. Time is absolutely of the essence here. So if a um, if there's a loss and someone reports it on to ic3.gov, how fast is the FBI on that? I mean, I, I, I know you say that they're getting them as, as they come in, but is that reality? Yeah, I mean, they, they've really, and certainly in the last 12 months, um, they've, they've really developed a pretty robust system um, to to triage those, they have a central um, r- repository of the contacts at the at the banks, um, and um, you know I've seen them initiate the the recalls within within a matter of or you know contact the banks to initiate the recalls within a matter of hours. Um, there's only so there's only so much we can do um, once we report it to the bank, um, and certainly anybody who's a, who realizes that they're a victim of this should also report it to their bank as well, um, you know, because I'd rather people report it, you know, more than once uh, to try and affect uh, as many as many reasonable ways to recover this money as, as quickly as they can. Um, recognize that the, the banks are sometimes in a difficult situation because somebody issued you know, an, an authorized user on a bank account, let's say someone is going to settlement on a, on a house and is, and is uh, wiring the escrow, you know, they're an authorized uh, user on that account. Uh, and then the, the recipient account, um, you know, the, the, the bank doesn't really know if you're claiming fraud, if that's, if that's true. So they have to do some due diligence on, on their ends, both on the receiving end and the, and the sending end to make sure that it really is fraud. Um, so, um, so those are some of the issues that they have to work out at, at both ends of the bank. So it, it, it can, while it seems simple, it can be complicated behind the scenes. Ben, can you talk about some of the mo- more sophisticated uh, attempts or attacks on whether it's a realtor, or a title company, lender? Yeah, so what, what a typical scenario um, involves the, the theft of credentials of a title company, uh, a law firm, or um, a real estate company, um, in which the let's just say let's say it's a, it's a law firm, and I've seen examples where you have a, a small law firm, um, and one of the one of the attorneys in the law firm uh, receives a phishing email, purporting to be from let's uh, you know their email provider. And they give up their username and password. And once they've done that, um, the the bad guys will then get into that person's account and essentially just sort of monitor the account and see what's going on, if there are any pending transactions coming up. 
we see a lot of folks who are shifting over to uh, Office 365. And, um, you know, Office 365 has that look and feel and that, that, that login screen and credential screen. So the bad guys mimic that in order to fool an individual to log in. Once they're in the, uh, the email system, they will uh, change some of the rules and settings in your email account. Uh, they'll do things like uh, make some rules for forwarding of emails. Um, so a typical rule would be, you know, if this phrase is in the subject line, then forward the email onto a separate bank, a separate email account, you know, and also delete the sent and inbound email and delete it from the deleted folder. So you as the owner of the account never actually see the email because it came in, was automatically forwarded and then was deleted. And then what happens is that the bad guys jump in the middle of a conversation between, let's say, the settlement company, the attorney, and the client, and will then change wiring instructions when it comes time to settlement. So they're actually monitoring the whole communication. They're acting as one side or the other side, or even both sides, uh, during the email communication, and at the right moment will instruct the client uh, to wire the money to an alternate bank account. Yeah, we've uh, seen we've seen amazing situations just like that, you know, where the realtor's email is duplicated with something off in the URL. Whether it's you know they changed it to you know if it's an xyz at gmail dot com, it's xxz at gmail dot com. It's something very very small, and they then send uh, new wiring instructions. And yeah, it's, they it, have it's, to, yeah. It's incredibly common. Uh, it, it's it's um, it's very successful because it's it's sort of elegant in its simplicity, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But the you know the the bad guys are doing a substantial amount of work on the front end to identify the individuals or the companies that may be involved in these transactions, um, and it's that sort of due diligence on their part that makes this robust. And understand that this is their day job, right? This is what they do every day. Their their job is to come in and steal money, um, and uh, and they're pretty good at it. Uh, and so we have to um, educate ourselves and defend ourselves against uh, against these frauds, um, and understand how this happens, and also institute certain defenses, uh, which are generally either cheap or free. And cheap or free are pretty good. Um, and uh, you know just reinforce this, this, the hygiene rules that people have to use um, in, in doing these transactions and educate the clients as well on what to look out for. Um, you know, the, the, one of the cheekiest examples I saw was uh, one of the perpetrators, you know, snagged the email of the, uh, of the settlement company and at the bottom of the settlement company, you know, signature line and said, be aware, there's lots of fraud going on. You know, we will not email you or wire and tell you how to change wiring instructions. And the bad guys used that signature line in their email when they first jumped in and then subsequently deleted it and removed it from emails moving forward. So it wasn't in there so that the client may not see that signature line and maybe think about it. You know, that was pretty cheeky of them, I thought. Of course. Yeah, it's 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 amazing the way that they duplicate the email signatures and they make it look just like the they even copy and paste the entire email chain and they'll they'll start a new chain but as if it's still coming from the same person. And oftentimes, you know, you mentioned uh, Microsoft Office uh, 365. 
you know, you see who the email is from, but unless you hover your mouse over it, you typically won't see the actual email address that it, it could actually be a different email address. Yeah, it, so it's a spoofed email address oftentimes. Um, and we've seen it as simple as just being a, a, a Gmail account that they've set up. It can essentially be a throwaway Gmail account. They use it for that one fraud and then move on. Um, it, we've seen people use Comcast accounts. They've been able to get into somebody's Comcast account and create a second email address just for the bad guy. And that, that client who is paying their Comcast bill every month has no idea that their Comcast account is being used to perpetrate a fraud because they've been, they're a victim as well. They've been, their account's been taken over by somebody else. So you talk about credentials and uh, what comes to my mind is the fact that it, it, from what I see, there's a lot of people out there that don't use dual authentication. And I know that doesn't solve everything, but talk about the importance of having your email set to your phone or some device where you get a notification if someone's trying to sign in from a different computer. Yeah, I mean, I know, so for example, uh, I know a lot of individuals use um, Gmail as their personal email. Um, and, you know, every time that I sign in from another device that hasn't been registered before, I'll get an email saying, hey, did you really just sign into this, you know, Windows device from this location? So, it, it, but you have to enable these, these things and turn them on. Um, businesses, you know, some, some of them for purposes of cost saving will use a free Gmail account rather than maybe a more robust um, commercial application. Um, but Gmail does provide for free, uh, for, you know, with your personal email, they provide you with that multi-factor authentication called the Google Authenticator. And it's an app you can download to your phone and you, you, you log in with your username and password and then it presents you with another screen saying, hey, you have to type in this number and you go to your phone and the number comes up, um, it changes every 60 seconds. And that's, that's true multi-factor authentication. It's a, it's a, a separate device and it's something you have uh, rather than something being sent to you. I mean, obviously there are other alternatives, um, you know, having a text message sent to your phone uh, with, a, with another number to, to plug in. Um, all of these things add a layer of, um, you know, an, another layer, another boundary uh, that that is that makes the bad guys. It makes it harder for the bad guys to get in. Um, you know, the, these features are available, um, some at no cost and some that, uh, w with some cost. Um, you know, I, I believe that Office 365 comes with the option of having a text message sent to your phone every time you log in. And people may ask, well, well, that's really inconvenient. And I would argue it's way more inconvenient when two and a half million dollars of your client's money has been wired to the wrong account <laughs> and you're trying to get it back. Um, so that, that inconvenience of 10 seconds um, is, is definitely worth in this business uh, where the crooks are just breaking all the rules. Uh, that, incon that 10 second inconvenience uh, could save you an, an awful lot of money um, you know, to the point where, you know, if you've, if you've sent this money, you, you may go out of business. You may not have the, you know, if you've sent escrow funds to the wrong place and you were holding escrow as a law firm or settlement company and you did it wrong, you're on the hook for that. Um, and, um, it could put you out of business. Um, and that, that's a horrifying thought. It brings um, to mind, Ben, you know, the fact that, yeah, a title insurance company or escrow company can certainly go out of business, but a lot of them do carry... Uh, e and O um, and 
cyber liability, crime policies, social engineering policies, and the policies have become pretty robust as long as you've got the proper coverages and you're paying the, the, these healthy premiums, um, you might actually be covered. I, not necessarily for two and a half million, but um, you know, if, if, if there's a big loss, you're oftentimes um, within the guise of the, um, of the policy. But the problem with that is, is that oftentimes these, these frauds are being perpetrated directly against the home buyer, um, seller, borrower. And if, if it's them that made the mistake and wired to the wrong place, and it wasn't the title company that was, you know, their email address was being hacked or the realtor's email was being hacked, but the, the fraud was directly against the, the, the parties of the transaction, they're really at a loss and it could really change, change your life in a big way. How, how is that message um, getting thrown to the general public? You know, I don't know that it is very well. Um, I, I think that, you know, when people go to uh, to settle on the house and, and wire that escrow in, you know, two days before closing or whatever it is, that it's probably the, one of the last things they're thinking about. Um, I, I would urge, you know, I, I would certainly urge the settlement companies, the real estate companies, to impress upon their clients, um, you know, many times, particularly when it comes close to where we're, you know, exchanging contracts and we're sending money, that, you know, this is a very common fraud uh, and um, they need to pay very close attention to where that money's going. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the companies need, the real estate companies and settlement companies to need to reinforce that with their clients. I see a lot of times it says, we will never email you any wiring instructions. Um, and of course, in this day and age, people expect stuff to be emailed to them, so they're maybe not paying attention to that. But um, maybe it's just another a phone call to the, to the client you know, a day or so before those wiring instructions are going to be sent just to verify we won't be emailing you. We will do this by phone. We will do this by letter. We will do this by fax. Um, you know, educate the clients throughout the process because people are, cons you know, they're, they're more concerned with the, you know, the, the color of the kitchen sink than they are with the escrow at the end. Um, but that's the critical point where the bad guys will jump into that conversation and, and take that money right from underneath you. So I think, you know, Real estate companies and settlement companies can can certainly play a, a huge role in, in 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 helping defend their clients from this mess, um, because oftentimes the clients may well look at the real estate company, the settlement company, and and rightly or wrongly blame them, um, because they have nowhere else to point the blame, and they're obviously very upset. I mean, I've seen four hundred fifty thousand dollars in escrow go out the door, um, just just by an email, and it's it's tragic. And they lost everything. Uh, in this case, we're able to get it back, fortunately. But we've seen times where we haven't been able to get it back. And um, how often do you get it back? I couldn't give you a hard number, um, but it's gotten much, much better uh, with this centrally managed system. It's gotten more robust, um, and I think we we I'm going to say we get it back more often than not at this point. We've kind of flipped it around on its head, um, but. You know, it's still a it's still a significant 
amount that is getting is getting lost. Um, it really is. When the funds are of a small nominal amount, but they're done on a volume basis, or someone's maybe not attacking you for the seventy-five thousand dollars or plus, does that perpetrator, does that system, or whoever the the, the group is that's doing it, um, when you can put the 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 keystrokes together and you can determine that this is the same group that's doing this over and over and over again. Does the FBI go and try and reach them even though their the actual general attack is, is less than, you know, let's call it $5,000 or $10,000? You know, it, it really depends. I mean, you know, if, if they do it in small aggregate amounts, they're, they know that they're probably going to stay under the radar. Um, but but having the central reporting repository at, at IC3 allows us to sort of stitch those instances together and kind of pick up some common trends. Um, one of the things we also try and do is go out to the people to whom this money has been sent. And um, we, we call them uh, money mules. And generally speaking, they themselves are a victim of a crime in that they have been recruited to open these bank accounts for these uh, these folks overseas, but they don't know that what they're doing is necessarily wrong. Um, they think they've been recruited for uh, a work-from-home uh, job, or some of them have been recruited through romance scams um, where they've met someone online and they, they, they think that this person is real and they're not. Uh, and they've been asked to help them move money. Um, and so we will try and identify those individuals and go speak with them and let them know that what they've been doing is, is you know, that uh, they're, they're part of a money laundering operation, essentially, and and put them on notice so that we shut them down, so that we make it harder for the bad guys. They have to go find somebody else. Um, so uh, we're always trying to um, attack it from both ways. This brings up another uh, feature within the banking world to stop these frauds from happening is is the positive pay feature on your checking account. Um, we've had instances over the last six months where there's been several attempts at using fraudulent checks uh, with our account and ABA numbers, but the checks are not going through because our bank is not honoring them because they they get hit, they get stopped on our positive pay. Um, oftentimes, it is exactly what you just described, is that the bar, the, this, this, this homeowner receives a letter in the mail saying, you know, take this check and deposit it towards buying some merchandise and then send a portion here and you will now have this stay-at-home job to do X, Y, Z. And yeah, and a lot of them are falling for it. Yeah, they've been recruited through a Craigslist ad or, uh, you know, um, uh, in, an Indeed.com, you know, job posting that they believe is legitimate. Um, and they're left holding the bag because, you know, the, their their bank where they deposited it may well have given them, let's say, I'm going to make this up, let's say it's $10,000. Their bank may well have given them, you know, the 10000 You know, they go and buy the equipment for eight and then keep the two. And then they, they comes back because it went back to your bank and said, this is not a legitimate check. And so the victim's bank goes to the victim and says, no, that was a bad check. You owe us 10 grand. And they don't have that 10 grand anymore because they already sent it on or, or bought equipment with it. 
Um, so they're left holding the bag. Somebody's left holding the bag, you know, with these things, unfortunately. Um, you, you talked about positive pay. I know that there's another, uh, another example where um, one, one company instituted a policy with the bank, you know, any checks over X amount of money require you to phone us to verify its authenticity. Um, so that's just one way that this company who was getting hit with the same scheme instituted this to prevent fraud. It's unbelievable. I, I always say that the, the perpetrators out there, they're, they're doing this 365 days a year. And if they hit one, if they hit two every now and again, they're king of the castle. Yeah, I mean, if, if you successfully got someone to wire you half a million bucks, it's a pretty good payday. Not even a, not even a half a million. I mean, if, yeah. in, in a lot of in a lot of areas of the world, you get you get wired fifty thousand dollars. You know, it's a, it, it's a huge payday. Yep. Uh, it, it's it's really uh, an interesting topic, and uh, we're certainly happy that the FBI is taking it seriously and fighting it. Um, is there any last tip that you would? Um, Put out there to specifically realtors and banks. Uh, the title companies have been strongly uh, uh, educated through the underwriting platforms that we have. Uh, we take certain measures, whether it's positive pay, dual authentication, uh, dual authentication of the wires, um, protecting your password, so on and so forth. What's your biggest suggestion to everybody in the real estate community? Um. Follow, I mean, I know larger companies have rules where, you know, any business transactions must go through the corporate email system because that corporate system has IT controls or logging information or requires two-factor authentication. Uh, I know people, because they're trying to be, they're trying to get the job done, may kind of go outside of those bounds and use their personal email to do these transactions. They, they can't do that. You've, you've got to follow the rules. Um, I would urge in this day and age, every every business that's dealing with any transactions involving money, which is what these crooks are after, without fail, they have to be using some form of multi-factor authentication um, because it is it is a, the sort of majority mechanism by which people are getting in is by phishing your credentials stealing your credentials and jumping in your email. And if you do not have multi-factor authentication of some form in there, um, whether it's their most robust form available or, you know, or something else, you have to be using that because if you're not, you're opening yourself up. And if you are using it, the bad guys will move on to the next softer target. And of course, I don't want to encourage other people to be targets, but if everybody did it, it would make the situation so much better for all involved. All right, Ben, I'm going to uh, go kind of out of order here and uh, do a little edit because I forgot a question. Um, so I'm going to start right now. Ben, how about uh, ransomware? How often are you seeing situations where someone's computer is hijacked and what can the FBI do about that? Okay, so, so last year, I mean, the number of reported incidents of ransomware to our IC3 portal were about 1,700. I know that that is a fraction of the number of real instances going on out there. Um, it, it is it is a very prevalent um, and persistent threat that we're faced with. Um, and the, the, the more, 
how should we say, uh, robust ransomware variants out there um, are very insidious. They get into your systems, they completely lock it up. Um, you know, it's not just locking up one machine, it's shutting down an entire enterprise. Um, and um, the demands, the ransom demands can be very, very high. Uh, I've seen ransom demands of 30, 50, 60,000 up to over a million, um, depending on the size of the victim. Um, and the only, you know, the way to prepare for this is to treat it like it's a disaster response uh, scenario. Um, so, you know, obviously, obviously having the most robust protections in place in regards to updated virus protection and all that good stuff, um, disabling any remote access um, to your systems unless it's absolutely critical. And if it is critical, it needs to be protected with a robust two-factor authentication and and or a virtual, I'd say, and a, a VPN. Um, because bad guys are getting in through these vulnerabilities that have been left open for remote access. Um, and then having backups in such a way that they are remotely stored and unavailable should the bad guy get into uh, your system. Uh, because if, if it is available through the network, the bad guys will inevitably find your backups and either delete them or encrypt them as well. Uh, at which point, um, you know, you're, you're kind of um, in a bit of a pickle. Um, so it, it's a combination of protecting yourself, making sure the bad guys don't get in. But if they do get in, you have a very robust um, backup uh, strategy in place. Um, and treat it like, you know, like I said, it's a disaster recovery, you know, if Superstorm Sandy hit again um, and your and your business was wiped out um, and the flood came through, you know, if, is your backup in the same building as that got flooded? And if it is, it doesn't do you any good. It's got to be remote. It's got to be unavailable on the network in such a way that the bad guys cannot get to it. That is the that is the way to recover. Uh, other than paying the ransom, which uh, the FBI does not recommend that you pay the ransom. It's it's not our position to to pay ransoms to people. But we do understand if people make that business decision to do so. Yeah, I mean, we've seen people with computers that had the ransomware with nothing on. They've just thrown their computers out. It's very unfortunate, but it's yeah. it's a uh, it's reality. Yeah. All right, Ben. Um, we really appreciate your time today, and I hope that this was beneficial to all the listeners. Um, thanks for joining. And, uh, you know, just go get them. Go, go keep uh, prosecuting and uh, trying to stop these, uh, these culprits out there because they're, they're causing a major aggravation within the communities. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Thanks, Ben. Ha have a great week, and we'll talk soon. Thanks very much. All righty.